inside the confines of a standardized curriculum box to a teaching and learning space that is more creative? And how can you make this leap in your teaching practice in an easy and more systematic way that doesn't create more work for yourself during planning sessions? This is what I'm hoping to accomplish with Get Off the Dotted Line, a podcast that gives elementary teachers simple step-by-step tools, guidance, and advice on how to make teaching more creative without sacrificing high-quality content, instruction, skills, and amazing learning potential for your students. I'm your host, Dr. Paige Hendricks, and together we will explore different ways to simplify your planning and add a lot of creative impact that is outside the confines of standardized curriculum and the dotted lines. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about and unpack the teaching methods of scaffolding and tiered lesson planning. We'll discuss these two teaching strategies together because, well, they actually do relate to each other. I'll let you in on what scaffolding and tiered lessons are by breaking down their components and giving you some tips on how to use them in your elementary classroom. So by the end of this episode, I promise you'll have five tips that will help you understand and be able to use scaffolding or tiered lessons in your classrooms when appropriate for your students. And stay tuned for the Cut That Out section of this podcast, where I'll give you access to a handout so you can remember the topics we talked about and use them right away. Whether you consider yourself a creative teacher or not, or just need a spark to re-energize your classroom atmosphere tomorrow, this episode will help you confidently engage your students and create an atmosphere for high-quality content, instruction, and amazing learning potential to begin. Scaffolding is a process of breaking down a lesson's components into smaller and more manageable parts. Think of it like a set of stairs. At the bottom of the stairs is the start of the lesson, and at the top of the stairs is the end of the lesson or the learning outcome that the student needs to know at the end of the lesson. Each stair is a scaffold, a part of the lesson broken down and completed by the student in order to get from the beginning of the lesson to the end of the lesson. The stairs provide smaller and more manageable parts of the lesson for the student to complete. This process of scaffolding can help a student understand not only that they have to get from point A, the beginning, to point B, the end, but also how to move succinctly from point A to point B without becoming super frustrated. In addition, the smaller tasks progress towards stronger understanding and greater independence by the student. Now, I realize I just talked about scaffolding as like getting from one, getting through just one lesson. So starting the beginning of the lesson at point A and going to the end of the lesson point B, but you may find that your scaffolding actually exists within a couple of lessons or within the context of a standard, which takes a few lessons probably to break down. So I use this term scaffolding in the context of a lesson because it's the simplest form. It's within one lesson, one day, one class period. But you may find that you can scaffold something a little bit bigger, like 
a standard, which takes a few lessons, or even a whole unit, which takes multiple lessons to complete. So think of scaffolding still as the stairs, but you put in whether or not it's just one lesson, many lessons, or a whole unit. Here's a more concrete example of scaffolding, and this is using a standard, one standard. One part of the Common Core standards in grade one in mathematics is called Operations and Algebraic Thinking. It's 1.0a, and it says the following. The standard actually reads as add and subtract within 20. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to interpret it as it means to add and subtract all of the numbers that you can make and all the combinations of numbers that you can make from zero to 20. This is the top of the scaffolding staircase, this add and subtract within 20 standard. And adding and subtracting the numbers between and including zero to 20 is the final goal then for this math standard, 1.0a. We as teachers can assume that every student knows how to do this right off the bat until we pre-assess them. I'll address pre-assessment in another podcast, but let's assume that after our pre-assessment, student A doesn't know how to add or subtract very well from using the numbers from 0 to 20. So they're starting at the very bottom of the staircase. So to scaffold this standard and get student A to be able to confidently add and subtract within 20, we need to scaffold the standard. So we need to break it up into different skill parts. We need to create some smaller, more manageable stairs to get from no knowledge of how to add and subtract within the numbers of 20 to our final accomplished goal of adding and subtracting within 20. Luckily, if you look at the Common Core state standards for math at least, they break down the standard into some stairs for us. Although I'd argue that their breakdown might need a little bit more, some more stairs than um, they suggest. Because normally when I was teaching first graders this skill, I needed a few more stairs. So I'll tell you which ones in this example they have put down and which ones I've added. So here we go. The Common Core State Standard states, stair number one should be this. Relate counting to addition and subtraction. For example, counting on two to add two. So what does that mean? So stair one, I would say, let's be sure that the student can count well. Let's engage with some skip counting, if we can, after we've counted in sequence. And that might be stair two. And become more fluent in skip counting forwards and then also backwards. So that might be step three. So in the one stair that they gave us in the Common Core, I've actually divided it into three stairs. So let me tell you that one again. It's you want to make sure that the student can count stair one. You want to make sure that they can engage in some form of skip counting stair two, and you want to make sure they become very fluent in skip counting both forwards and backwards, stair three. Okay, next, I'd introduce the plus sign. This is one that isn't in the Common Core State Standards, but we all know that some students aren't familiar with the language of mathematics, and the plus sign, that actual sign, that symbol, is part of that mathematical language that we have to teach students. So I'd make introducing the plus sign stair four. For stair five, I'd be sure to level up on base 10 and be sure students understand this quantity and what it looks like in picture form, like the base 10 frame, for example. So you can use those cubes or those blocks or, you know, get one of those base 10 frames and um, make sure that the students can put the blocks into the base 10 frame so they can actually visually see what this looks like in picture form. And then once they get that, 
one base 10 block, you're going to add the second one because remember, our overall goal is to get to 20. So we need two base 10 frames. So make sure that you use the first one first. So that could be stair five. And then adding a second one could even be stair six, or you could make it stair 5.2, whatever. And again, this one was not a common core state standard, but I added this one in and you'll see why, because my next stair is going to be using a variety of strategies such as counting on to make 10. Use some pictures, use that one base 10 frame and make sure that the student knows how to count on. So I might add the plus sign in to this base 10 part so the students can see an actual part of an equation. So for example, I would give them a couple of blocks, one base 10 frame and say, okay, put one base 10, one block into your base 10 frame. And they do that. And I'd write one. And then I would say, okay, now add, and I'd write the plus sign four more base blocks into your base 10 frame. And they would put the blocks in and I would write the number four. And I might not write the equal sign just yet. I would just write that one plus four and ask them then, how many base 10 blocks do we have? And of course they could count them and they could see them and it would be five. And you could do that too with taking them away. Okay, now we have five base 10 blocks in our base 10 frame. So they have five. Now what would happen if we took three of them away? So they take three away. So I would write five, maybe minus three. And then they could see that there was two. Not the whole equation, just some of it, because the next stair, and this is partially from the Common Core and partially from me, is decomposing a number leading to 10. They're talking about subtraction here. They're pulling the zero to 20 numbers apart again. So they're saying 13 minus four equals 13 minus 3 minus 1. Do you see where that is? Like 3 minus 1, 3 plus 1 is 4. 13 minus 3 minus 1 is going to be the same as 13 minus 4. I don't know. This one's a little bit confusing. I might just take some of those blocks out now and just keep it in that one base 10 frame. And then I would go to the second base 10 frame and do that because I don't know that the common core math here is logical for every kid, but some kids are going to see those relationships between the decomposing of a number leading up to a 10 so they can see the full 10 frame. You take that for what it's worth because the next stair would be comparing addition and subtraction using that relationship. So if a student knows now that two plus three is five, they're going to know that five minus three is two. And that's what we're talking about here because they want to learn the overall standard of adding and subtracting from zero. So we want to be able to do it both forwards and backwards all the way to 20. So I would go to 10 first and then I would go on to 20 second because the final staircase would be then adding that second component, which is making sure that they can go all the way to 20. So if that didn't confuse you enough, take a listen again and see. But really what we're trying to do here is we're taking our beginning point of a student knowing very little, if nothing, of the standard, and we're breaking it down because we know what our end goal is going to be, the standard, the top of the staircase, and we're scaffolding each little component. And some of these components that I just described might be really great for you and your students. Some of them you might have to rework a little bit, or you might have to come up with some additional stairs, like your staircase might be taller than mine, or it might even be shorter than mine. Who knows? And some students are going to need more stairs, and some students are going to need less stairs. So you decide how you want to go about your staircase and making your staircase. This breakdown of nine, give or take one or two stairs, is just one example of how to tackle taking a standard and scaffolding it into stair parts. You may, again, have your own way to figure out from your pre-assessments of 
how your students are going to do this or how many stairs they're going to need. The point is, is that you as the teacher understand the standard or the end goal of the lesson or lessons or unit. And you also understand the starting point of the student. So you can be confident that the student is starting at the right point in the beginning and they're getting to the final end point, which is what we need them to get to at the end. And they've mastered everything and they're confident with everything in the middle. So every stair goes up a level towards that standard or towards the end of the lesson or towards the end of that unit, but only when the student has mastered that stair. Okay, if you really want to see this in action, I've included a YouTube link to a teacher. Now, she's in an upper elementary classroom, and she's teaching a reading strategy in a social studies class. Brilliant. But she does a great job of scaffolding the material because she shows you the, the some students get certain materials, some students get other materials, and different opportunities to be successful on their own, but they're all getting to the end same goal. And then I have another video, second video, reviewing what scaffolding is and how it's used in a variety of classrooms K-12. So it's kind of a general overview. So if you don't know anything about scaffolding or you, you feel like you need a good refresher on what it looks like and my example was super confusing, go ahead and listen to the second video and that will give you a good overview. And then go to the first video and see the teacher in action because she's fantastic. Now let's talk about tiered lessons. Tiered lessons meet the learning needs of each student. So the lesson starts at the point of the learning path where the student is ready and able. It's like that picture of the children standing on the blocks looking over the fence. One child is tall enough to look over the fence on his own. One child needs one block to stand on, and the third child needs multiple blocks to see over the fence. So tiering creates equity in the learning process. I'll say that again. Tiering creates equity in the learning process. All of the students, regardless of starting point, will get to the end learning goal or standard. They just start at their own good for them place. So if you find that you have a small group of students who have already reached the learning goal, you can extend the learning and tier the lesson even further upward. So that's why tiering is really cool because there's no ceiling limit. In tiered lessons, all students have a chance to find success and make progress in their own way, starting at their own starting point. Teachers tier lessons so that students are working at different levels of the same task. Some are more difficult and challenging than others. So we're talking about levels here. We're not necessarily talking about like stair stepping and breaking things down. We're actually talking about like some students need a higher level of reading passage, for example, than other students. Or some students might need more of a prompt when they're doing their writing than other students, but they're also writing and they're also writing and answering the same things. They're just doing it at their own level. Teachers tier learning so students are working at different levels of the same task. Some are more difficult and some are more challenging than others, but all students work on, explore, investigate, and learn the same basic material, but on different levels or tiers. So what are the steps to tiering a lesson? Well, first, you need to know the learning goal or the standard or whatever the end result of the learning is that you're teaching and what your students are going to be learning. Second, you'll want to pre-assess your students on the learning goal to find out what they know or they don't already know or what variation they're in. And in your pre-assessment, you're probably also going to think, okay, 
I know that this student knows a little bit about this, for example, but they need a reading level that is a little bit lower. Or I know the student knows nothing about this, but if I give them a really high level text, for example, they could handle it and learn from it. So you're going to be thinking about this during your pre-assessment too, when you're getting your information from your students about what they actually know about the content. Then the third part is that you create your tiers. So you'll probably have a minimum of three tiers in your class or a maximum of six tiers, but six is really fancy um, for a class of 30 students. I erred on the side of three to four tiers when I taught first grade because I couldn't keep track of any more than that. So three is really good, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but if you really are good at tiering or you're finding that you just can't put students in a few amount of groups, you need lots of groups, then I would try four. I would, I don't know, six just, I've seen it done, but woo. It's tough. Okay. Fourth, you want to distribute the tiers to the students and you let them work. And bonus, if you have the students group up by tier and work together to communicate ideas and questions and their solutions, because when you put them together and they're on the same tier, then this homogenous grouping could really work and be able to help the students all be successful in that group and on that tier. Finally, you want to assess based on the tier. So what was the tier for the day and did the students accomplish their tier? Then you can do it just simply like that. Or if you have the students getting in that tier, getting to an end result and getting to that standard or that end result of the learning, then you're going to assess and make sure that they know based on their tier what they needed to know about the standard and they've, they've got it and they've got it at their own level. And that's cool. It's at their own level. But don't think that you have to create 30 tiered lessons for 30 students in your classroom. That would be maddening and it would drive me insane. Don't do it. Don't just don't do it. Instead, you should be able to group your students informally into probably three to six smaller groups, as I said. But I would keep it super simple. I would do three groups and this is how I would do it. And this sounds really, oh my gosh, completely basic, but it, it will work. You do One group for the students who are really far away from the learning goal, one group for the students who are somewhere on the way to the learning goal, and one group for those who have already exceeded the goal. See how simple that is? It sounds so novice, but that's what I, that's where I would start. I would do one really far away group, one somewhere in the middle group, and one they mastered it like forever ago. If you want to get a bit more precise, you could break down your middle group a little bit by degree of getting to the learning goal. And that's where you would add your tiers. But three sounds really fun to me right now. Really good, really good in my head. The students don't have to formally know what group they're in unless you want to tell them and they want to work together. You know what works for your kids and you know what works for your students and you know what is going to help them get the work done. So that's all that matters. Plus, in this scenario, you already have figured out the lesson goal or the standard in each of the students' beginning points. So you have the steps already mapped out. You you have this in your head. like You do this intuitively as a teacher. So go with your gut. Go with what feels good. It's not really much more work on your part except to think about the student groups and get them the appropriate work to begin. And a lot of that appropriate work is also out there and done for you, or you may have some type of technological app or something that's going to help you. So don't make it up if you don't have to. See what you have that you can use and help the students become very successful. The rest really is up to the students. I've included two videos on tiered lessons in the show notes, and both are math lessons for elementary grades, and you can find them here. And they will show you how the teachers went through the process of thinking about the tiering and dividing their students into 
into the tiered groups and having the students in individual tiers work together. It was brilliant. So if you want to see it in action, I highly recommend you taking a look at the videos. I hope you don't need further convincing to use scaffolding or tiered lessons in your lesson plans. And in the end, be sure to use whatever learning method is simple, it's natural to the learning process, and it's best for your students. So don't go crazy thinking you have to do every lesson as a scaffold or every lesson as a tiered lesson. Do what feels good and natural to the process of learning. And you'll know that because you'll know where your students are at the beginning and you'll know where your students have to go. So it, this method of tiering or scaffolding will just fall into place. Similarly to scaffolding, tier lessons meet students' learning needs where they are, and both of these types of methods require pre-assessing the students to determine where they are. Both scaffolding and tiered lessons create equity in the learning process for all students because you're, again, you're meeting the students where they are and you're helping them get to the end goal as best as they can, given their abilities and skills with what you're trying to teach. And finally, both methods create learning independence for all students to reach the final learning goal or standard. And learning independence, boy, that's where it's at, right? We want our students to be independent in their learning. As promised, here are five tips to help you understand scaffolding and tiered lessons in order to use these teaching methods when appropriate with your students. So tip number one, Determine the learning goal based upon a content standard or whatever your goal is for that lesson, that standard, that unit, whatever. Know where you have to go. That's tip number one. Know where you're going. Tip number two is pre-assess the students on the learning goal to determine each student's starting point in the learning process. Okay, so after you know where you're going, you have to know where every student is starting. So you've got to pre-assess them some way. Tip number three. Plot the learning steps needed to get from the starting point to successfully understanding and accomplishing the learning goal. So take a couple minutes. It really shouldn't take you more than a couple minutes to break down. Okay, here's where these students are starting. Here's where they have to go. What is in the middle that will help them go through this learning process? Tip number four, create the materials based upon your steps that you determined and distribute them to the appropriate students. And finally, tip five, Assess the students again at the end of their learning journey to determine whether or not the learning goal or the learning standard was met. So there you have it, five efficient and creative recommendations for you to consider when implementing scaffolding or tiered lessons into your planning. Whether you consider yourself a creative teacher or not, or just need a spark to re-energize your classroom atmosphere tomorrow, I hope these five tips will help you confidently engage your students and create an atmosphere for high-quality content instruction, and amazing learning potential to begin. Before we part, this section of the podcast called Cut That Out is one I do every time. Here I'll give you access to a handout so you can remember the five tips to incorporate scaffolding and tiered lessons into your planning. You can find the handout on my website at pagehendricks.com. That's P-A-I-G-E hendricks.com along with today's show notes. so much for joining me this week. To review key takeaways from today's episode and get the free handout, please visit my website at pagehendricks.com. That's P-A-I-G-E Hendricks.com. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast and want to listen to more. 
please subscribe to Get Off the Dotted Line. I can't wait to share another podcast with you. Thank you again for joining me, Dr. Paige Hendricks, in today's episode of Get Off the Dotted Line. See you next time.